On today's episode of Must Rewatch TV, I visit Staten Island and become a familia. Unlike Guillermo, I have no interest in joining the vampiric ranks unless it's Nadia doing the biting and the scritching and scratching. That's right, I rewatch the horror comedy What We Do in the Shadows, an FX show created by Jemaine Clement and an extension of that wicked awesome movie he made alongside Taika Waititi. Yet it's one of those rare occasions when the show surpassed its predecessor. It's downright hilarious and one of the best comedies on television today. I chose The Escape because it is a comedic masterpiece with Nadja front and center, one ancient vampire missing and another one returning, the rest of the lead vampires all together and one familia in charge in a vampiric adventure. I believe that this is the best episode of the show, hands down. Lightning fast comedy, a mockumentary style that works perfectly, and an opening song that is incredible. So, save a spot by the bubbler and join the rewatch. Please don't tell me you believe in this bullshit. Of course I do. If the vampire that turns you dies, then you die. So, if the original vampire dies, you all die? All die. No, it's a fucking urban myth. Like ghosts or large penises. You don't want to help? Fine. I will fix this. Since this is all my big dumb stupid fault. No, yes. master. <laughs> <laughs> Look the hellhound! Don't wait! People don't believe know. anything these days. Absolutely anything. I tell you, if what they're saying is true, both my wife and I would be dead by now. Yeah. The Baron obviously turned my wife into a vampire, and she turned me into a vampire. You two should be dead, because the Baron is definitely dead. Absolutely. <laughs> the Baron is definitely dead. Yeah. Burnt to a crisp and buried in the backyard. In the back garden as we speak. Fuck. Get a shovel. Yeah. Here's Mo! Hello everyone and welcome back to Must Rewatch TV. I'm your host, Zach. All right, everybody, I have a wonderful show for you today and I'm taking on a series that I am just so giddy and excited. It is, honestly, it is a series like this is the reason why I created this podcast. Something that I can easily rewatch, have a lot of fun rewatching it, to be able to jump on this mic and be able to just tell you all of the things I just absolutely loved. Discuss the scenes, the quotes, the moments, play some clips, talk about the song. And the show that I'm taking on today is what we do in the shadows a mockumentary series focusing on a bunch of vampires living in Staten Island this show is just a gem it is incredible this is a show based on a movie and this is the interesting thing and I'm going to talk about this in today's podcast I loved absolutely loved the movie what we do in the shadows that came out in 2014 from the minds of Taika Waititi and Shemaine Clement these guys are amazing and interestingly enough this was a movie that my brother Jeff told me to watch and now me and him have a funny kind of rapport in terms of him suggesting movies and me never watching them eventually I got around to watching it and oh my goodness was I floored by the mockumentary style that the film used to interview vampires, to interview vampires, think about that, and to interview vampires and just have them talk about the fact that they were living together in a flat in New Zealand. The show takes that concept 
and it elevates it. It elevates it to a way by which, as I will argue in today's podcast, the show is even better than the movie. And the movie is absolutely fantastic. But the show, the show, it just elevates it with the characters, the structure, the dialogue. It's just everything about it. You don't see that very often. You don't see a series that has taken an awesome idea created by a movie and then elevate it in that way. You know, listen, we've, we've seen a lot of mockumentary style TV shows and movies throughout the decades, right? Again, Christopher Guest is a, is just an all-star when it comes to say the mockumentary style of say film. Even Rob Reiner did it with Spinal Tap, right? But Christopher Guest's movies, Best in Show, Mighty Wind, classic moments of the mockumentary style being used to absolute perfection. But other movies like Drop Dead Gorgeous did it. We also have TV shows like The Office, Parks and Rec, even more recently Abbott Elementary, but it has been a style that has been quite played out, even if it is a fun style. It's inventive, it's interesting, and to be quite honest, oh, this show, it brings it back. I wanted to wrap myself in kind of a comfortable snuggie. I wanted to go back to the dark. It's a good place to be, but I, I, want, I didn't necessarily want to be frightened. I didn't necessarily want to have some significant violence or an emotional explosion. I wanted to laugh. But also, everybody, I wanted to celebrate the return of what we do in the shadows, which is coming back for its fifth season in July. And so, as I said, you know, the mockumentary style is definitely something that has been overdone, even though it's a fun and inventive style, something that we're all familiar with. But what we do in the shadows figures out a way to do it differently. It figures out a way to do it fun. Ultimately, yeah, it could be that breaking of the fourth wall constantly, the mannerisms, the facial expressions by the actors and the characters as they look at the camera when something ridiculous happens. The mockumentary style works in its favor. It takes an idea of these vampires that are living together and the adventures that they go through, the bullshit that they get up to, just the, all the craziness that happens to them and that they cause. It ultimately, in many ways, takes the mockumentary style and it mixes those things together to make it a really enjoyable viewing experience. But to be quite honest, these characters are so, so likable. Now, don't get me wrong. The movie's characters or the vampires that were present were very likable as well. But the show takes what worked in the movie, it adapts that to the TV version, and then says, hey, Let's do it a little bit different. Let's bring some different types of characters in, whether it's a female vampire or an energy vampire, things that were not present in the movie itself. And so what I constantly think about when I think about what we do in the shadows is that I feel like the movie built a kind of starting point, a universe, right? And now the TV show is an expansion and an extension on that universe. These are just more characters, more experiences. And that's really what it did right. This idea that, you know, you don't necessarily need to kind of take a, TV show based on a movie and just redo it. Take it, bring it into the TV world and now showcase a world by which, yes, those vampires, those characters that existed in the movie exist in this universe as well. And so they can make appearances and they do. And when they do show up, it's fucking awesome. And so this is a show that has tons of character development, wonderful dialogue, an excellent score, wonderful comedy, and an incredible intro song that the movie also used, but the show uses to absolute perfection. To live long, they have no use for your song. You're dead, you're dead, you're dead, you're dead and out of this world. Now your hope and compassion is gone. So that you dream to the world. Stay dead, stay dead, stay dead. You're dead and out of this world. 
That song was used in the movie as well as in the TV show, and it just provides such incredible comfort. I mean, my wife loves this show, and she particularly loves that song. And so even though it might not be a hot take, or maybe it is that I feel like the TV show is even better than the movie, there's reasons for that. And it's not necessarily to a drawback of the film. It's just that the TV show expands the universe. It makes it larger. It makes it more interesting. And I will say that, oh my goodness, the casting of this show was absolutely pinpoint perfect. And this is an episodic show. So for me, it is a purely and ultimately a comfort show. I can put this series on and just let it run from the first episode until the last. Every single episode in the vault is outstanding. So with that being said, let's celebrate the return of season five, shall we? Let's talk about some of the main details of this show. And what we're going to be doing is not necessarily jumping into a pilot. I'm not doing that. This show is so good and it has so many great episodes. It's hard to pick one. But for me, the very best episode of this series came from season three. And it focuses on what I consider the best and the funniest plot line with some callbacks to the pilot episode and to other episodes along the way. So while it is episode episodic, it can actually be seen slightly as a continuation episode. Today's podcast is focusing on a lot of fun. Today, let's let our hair down. Let's have a fucking blast. All right, so What We Do in the Shadows is an Emmy Award-winning mockumentary comedy horror television show created by Jemaine Clement. It's rated 8.6 on IMDb, and as I said before, it's based on the 2014 New Zealand film of the same name written by Clement and Taika Waititi, a movie that focused on three vampire roommates in New Zealand, but the series will focus on four vampire roommates in Staten Island. It premiered on March 27, 2019 on FX. It's been critically acclaimed, particularly because of its cast and the writing of the series, and been nominated for 17 Emmy Awards, including Outstanding Comedy Series in 2020 and 2022. And so we have, at this point, four seasons and counting. Obviously, it's renewed through six seasons, and we've had a total of 40 episodes to date. And so each season comes with 10 episodes per season. The new season, as I said, will air on July 13th. The show itself is very episodic, so all the episodes are very different, very unique, and so sometimes you'll have consistent themes that will run throughout the entire season, like Baby Colin or Nadia's Nightclub or Nandor's kind of wish-granting, but ultimately every episode kind of sits within its own kind of plot point by which they're kind of doing something that will create massive, massive entertainment. So here's the plot of the series, even though we have a pretty good understanding of what this show focuses on, and that is a look at the nightly lives of four vampires who have lived together on Staten Island for over a century. Listen, for me, I love a good TV series that has individuals of different kind of cuts and makes living in an apartment together. I mean, I love being human for that same reason, but that's ultimately a 45-minute drama where this is a 24 to 30-minute horror comedy where there will be blood, there will be swearing, there will be violence, and there will be over-the-top craziness that ensues. I mean, we have a talking doll at one point. And this episode today has a lot of incredible craziness that goes on, but and I love the idea of these four vampires living together with their familia, as we'll talk about Guillermo, 
But this show, it's just a true comedy. And again, that, that makes the idea of utilization of the mockumentary style, the horror, the comedy piece, it just connects it all perfectly and seamlessly. We have these characters that have, in many ways, their own different style of way, the way in which they even interact with the cameras. Again, Nadja does her thing, Nandor will do his. And ultimately, as we'll see, there's always that one character that always looks at the camera and makes like a frowny face or kind of rolls their eyes or so have. I mean, every single mockumentary series that I've ever seen has that one character that always takes the opportunity to look directly at the camera by facial expression alone can say everything. And in this show, it's predominantly Guillermo and Nadia that are able to do that. But this series, some of these episodes are just off the wall. But whether they're at a casino, a bar in the city, a city council meeting, trying to understand the technology of the day, relying on their familiar like Guillermo to find victims and virgins, it makes the show an absolute gem. But this show truly shines because of the actors and the characters. And so let me go over some of the main characters for not only the entire series, but even the episode that we're focusing on today. And so for Nandor the Relentless, we have Kaven Novak. And so this is a bloodthirsty leader of a fictional kingdom in Southern Iran. He's the oldest of the vampires, the self-proclaimed leader of the group. We have Matt Berry as Laszlo. We, he is a British nobleman vampire who was actually turned by Nadja, who we'll talk about in a second, who he is also married to. He is very, very, very sex positive, I guess you could say. As Nadia, again, Laszlo's wife, we have Natasha Dimitrio, a fantastic addition to this cast. And as I said, we have, for the most part, a movie that is made up of male vampires. The series expands on that, but we also have a female vampire that just adds to the greatness of what this show offers to the audience. But she is frequently frustrated by everybody in the house, especially the male vampires. But what I also love about Nadja is that when she became a vampire, her human soul eventually got trapped on Earth. This series reintroduces that human soul into a doll that looks identical to Nadja, and I fucking love that doll. It is hilarious. That really shouldn't work. It works fantastically. It is fucking hilarious. And so as the vampire familia, we have Guillermo played by Harvey Guillen. He is fantastic. This is everybody. I, I, I don't know if I've ever met a person that loves this show that doesn't love Guillermo. He is an individual who is working for his master, Nandor. He wants to very, very bad to become a vampire. That is ultimately the goal of familiars at one point is that you work for them for the future. Then you will eventually become a vampire when they bite you. But interestingly enough, Guillermo eventually finds out is that he is a descendant of the vampire hunter Van Helsing. And so he is very skilled at killing vampires and eventually will become a bodyguard of the vampires to protect them as because they keep doing shit that gets them into trouble with other vampires. His storyline and his development is just perfect. And in today's episode that I'm talking about, we're even seeing that he goes from this shy individual to, well, a badass. And so rounding out not only our other three vampires and our one familiar, we have our fourth vampire and probably one of the more interesting one and definitely a new one for the series and say compared to the movie. And that is the character of Colin Robinson, played by Mark Prooksh. He is an energy vampire who lives in the basement. He lives by draining humans and vampires of their energy by being boring and frustrating. He is 
fucking funny. He can go out in the day. He can even get a job. He loves working in a kind of cubicle because he can just drain the energy of those around him. He doesn't really show any signs of being a vampire other than that his eyes will light up when he's draining people. The actor is just brilliant and it, he's one of the best characters. He truly, truly is. And it's because it's so unique and so different. I don't know how they came up with an idea for an energy vampire, but I fucking love it. And it's a kind of gold star. And in this episode, he has some really great lines, but his energy draining abilities are just so humorous. And so two actors who are going to be present in today's episode that I want to give a shout out to because one, the first one, the Baron, who makes an appearance in the pilot episode, is ultimately killed by Guillermo in the pilot episode, but comes back in this episode, is played by the great Doug Jones. He is fantastic. In today's episode, he is going to have some great lines. And while he, as the Baron, is a very ancient vampire who is dead, and then ultimately is somehow brought back to life, as we'll talk about, he's not necessarily brought back to life. He just never actually died. He was just buried in the backyard. But he is fantastic. Some of his lines today are just so witty, so perfect. And then lastly, the guide, the guide played by Kristen Schaal. And this is the second time that I've talked about Kristen Schaal in this podcast. I talked about her as Louise on Bob's Burgers. She's kind of like the caretaker of the vampiric council. She's made so many different appearances in this show. And I believe that she's a regular on the show now. Thank God, because she's fucking fantastic, but she is hilarious. And so just to kind of reiterate some points, this show as a whole is funny as hell. The mockumentary style, which probably shouldn't work anymore, works perfectly. It has charm. Everything that the movie did well, the show does better. You know, it has vampires, werewolves, witches, zombies, ghosts, and much more. I do love this universe. I am interested in seeing how much more of this universe exists. It's global. And so I want to see more and know more. And so that's what a movie can at least start that a series can expand upon and even make better. And so I'm excited to learn more. I'm excited to see what they do with these new and unique characters, the ability to kind of have greater amounts of representations. The show is unapologetic when it comes to being progressive, showcasing the power of all different types of individuals, whether we have more female characters, more characters that represent the LGBTQ plus community as well. And this series definitely allows that to take place. Let's get into it, everybody. Let's talk a little bit about the technical details of the episode that I've chosen for today. And so the episode that I've chosen for today is titled The Escape. It's episode six from season three. It aired on September 30th, 2021. It's rated 8.6 on IMDb, ran for roughly around 24 minutes, and is directed by Yana Gorskaya, written by Jake Bender and Zach Dunn, and the cinematography done by DJ Stipson. The composer of this episode is John Inroth, Albert Fox, and Mark Mothersbaugh. And so the episode details are as follow. An ancient beast escapes and threatens the existence of all vampires everywhere. That description is pinpoint perfect because this episode is an adventure. All of our main characters are going to be together and they are going to be looking for the vampire monster beast that created all vampire monster beasts. And they are very fearful that if this beast dies, that it will lead to their destruction. We see our characters just kind of running around like chickens with their heads cut off. We're going to see some blood. We're going to see some mayhem. There's a monster. Our leads are all exceptional. We have tons and tons and tons of comedy. 
it just sticks the landing on everything that makes this series powerful as well as successful, especially good use of cameos as well as guest appearances like Doug Jones and Christian Shaw. I mean, the episode literally has everything you could possibly want. And so let's get into it, everybody. Let's take this episode of What We Do in the Shadows scene by scene. So the beginning of this episode actually does something very different than most episodes. It actually starts with a previously on this filmed documentary program, and that's actually narrated by Laszlo. But as he's saying that he actually cuts himself off and says, or whatever the fuck this is supposed to be, really interesting and kind of funny as well, mainly because of the fact that he does the previously piece and then cuts himself off. But it is reminding us as an audience that ultimately what this episode is going to be about has a connection to something that happened early in the season but we are making a callback to not only the beginning of this season, but as we'll see in a little while, a callback to the beginning of the entire series itself. And so that is at least the intention of doing this previously on. And the clip that we see played is a, is a clip from a previous episode. And so it's taking the mockumentary style and utilizing the episodic experience, but also connecting it to the season long um, arc to make these things all connect together. And so very, very good imagery within this kind of previous on clip. That is essential. We do see Christian Shaw's character as the guide. She's there. She's showing them a round archives room of the vampiric council. But the one point that this kind of clip wants us to understand is that it's centered around the living quarters of the sire. And so we see in this clip, this kind of excitement from all of our main characters that for the first time that they've ever been in this room and the guide is showing them around and pointing out that that's the sire, but the guide instructs them never open the door, never let it out. And of course, we get a little bit more comedy because Colin Robinson, who doesn't listen to anything, goes over to the door, doesn't open the door, but opens the little slit on the door. Something kind of growls and blows his hat off of and the kind of guide yells at him. And then the camera points to Guillermo, who's rolling his eyes, annoyed that Colin Robinson just did something that the guy just told you literally not to do. As I said, all mockumentary styles have that one character that the camera will often go to and doesn't say anything, but will make a facial expression and look directly at the camera. And in this episode, especially it's Guillermo as well as Nadja. The clip will eventually end with Colin kind of being like, yeah, yeah, I'm not supposed to open the door. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Our first actually main scene of this episode, we're going to see a huge building and it's going to say the Vampiric Council Headquarters. And so we know, and we've already known by this point, that our entire season is centered on the fact that Nadja, as well as Nandor, have taken over and are co-leaders of the Vampiric Council. And so the music at this point is really great. We I love the violin. It kind of adds to the vibe. So then we're going to be in the building and we're going to see Nadja and Nandor doing an interview with the crew. Again, all mockumentaries will have these kind of one-on-one -on -one interviews. What we do in the shadows uses them perfectly. These one-on-one -on -one interviews take on a life of their own. They're so fucking funny because they just add and enhance the story. And because there is kind of a dialogue taking place because of an interview, we intercut incredible imagery with what they're saying. And so we're going to see that specifically in this first scene where we see Nandor and Nadia talking. They keep cutting each other off. But the main part of this scene that is crucial is that they're going to introduce and talk about the sire. As leader... leader of the Vampiric Council. It is one of my, uh, 
our duties to be looking after the sire. The sire is the original vampire from which all other vampires have descended. Over the centuries, it has evolved into a horrific and fearsome creature. He is one very angry, very crispy piece of crust. But its continued health is of extreme importance for the fate of all vampire kind. So, uh, why are we talking to you about the sire? <laughs> um... And so that scene is a real good representation of just how, how good the banter is between, say, Nadja and Nandor. But the visuals are stunning and amazing. Nadja's ability to just kind of roll her eyes at Nandor and him to kind of give a frowny, angry face. But the intercut of, say, their narrative, their dialogue, the historical imagery of the sire, and then add in the kind of intensity of the music, it, it just works perfectly. I love that by the end of the clip, they're like, wait a minute, why are we talking about this right now? And they kind of start to chuckle. And so I love that in the scene, it eventually cuts to the next scene, which is a, a couple hours earlier scene. And we see Nandor, he walks into the archives room of the vampiric council. He's complaining about the mess and Nadja is kind of saying, hey, what are you having a piss about? So she's kind of getting mad at him for getting mad about how things are. And then Nadja is explaining to him that she's looking for a stupid magic flute for Laszlo. He wants to use it to seduce some male woman and then I love that she looks at the camera and she kind of smiles and smirks and she's like and to be honest I'm here for it she is amazing again probably my favorite character in this series is Nadja she's able to kind of give a line like that give a look to the camera just like Guillermo in this episode these are the two major characters that give those looks then as the scene kind of unfolds though Nadja is going to freak out and she's going to gasp she's going to tell Nandor to open the cell of where the sire is because the window part is open and she's not seeing anything inside the cell. And so we're starting to see our moment by which we're going to see what this episode is going to be focused on, finding the sire. And so when Nandor goes in, we see a major hole in the wall. And so the sire is clearly gone. Even Nandor goes in, they're looking for him, they're freaking out. He picks up a bone. He, he even looks to the camera and says, it seems that the sire was so hungry, he sharpened the bones of his victims and tunneled a hole through the wall. And Nadja just cannot believe it. But it's at this moment by which they're starting to freak out. Now Nadja starts to almost turn on a dime. She looks at Nandor and tells him that he fucked up, that this is all his fault. I can't believe you managed to mess this up so badly, Nandor. It was your job to feed the sire. <laughs> yes, you. What? So yeah, <laughs> turns out I never actually told Nandor to feed the sire. <sighs> How is this my fault? Because I said to you that you're the one to be responsible for feeding the sire. What have I done? <laughs> I was meaning to. I even wrote it on a sticky note. Ask Dandor feed sire. But I never actually got around to giving him the message. <laughs> so, you know, I think it's very difficult to say who's at fault, really. <laughs> Nadja clearly crushes that scene. She owns it. Her facial expressions, her ability to blame Nandor, even when she knows that she actually never told him that it was his responsibility to feed the sire. And let me just kind of give you a spoiler. This entire episode is going to be whether or not she actually will tell Nandor that he didn't mess up. Every opportunity that she has to tell him, and even at times where he's upset, and he is taking the blame, he's taking the responsibility. She constantly will look at the camera, almost like for them not to say anything, and she looks like she feels bad, but she will never fucking say it. 
a thing. That is where the mockumentary elevates this episode, right? It's the knowing that she has fucked up. She is interviewed and told the interviewers that she has fucked up, but she is never going to tell Nandor. And so this scene will eventually roll into the title cards and the music, as I mentioned before. Before you get to the title card of where it says like what we do in the shadows, you see all the kind of historic imagery or images of these characters, right? The, what they would have looked like hundreds of years ago or even in the 1970s or 80s. And this was the exact same format that was used in the movie, but they took what was really, really an identifiable feature of the movie and they intercut it and utilized it in the show so after the song imagery and title card, we are going to be in our first major scene. And this is a clip that I had played to open up this podcast. We are going to see all our main lead characters represented, and it is going to be an opportunity for them to all throw at least a line or two of incredible comedy, because it is a freak out scene, if you could ever describe it. And the freak out is coming from Nadja, even if we have individuals like Lazlo being like, I can't believe you that you would believe the bullshit that if the sire dies, that we all all die. Like, come on, you're better than that. And we see individuals like Guillermo coming to the understanding that this kind of old vampire lore of the eldest vampire dies, they all die, is something that people believe in. And Lazlo just calls it an urban myth, like ghosts or large penises. Fucking great lines of comedy. And we see Nandor in this scene is kind of just pacing around, he's freaking out. And so the clip that I played for you just kind of nails this moment. What I liked was towards the end of this clip, though, if you could hear Nandor kind of freak out run away and you see Guillermo call a master he runs and then you even hear hissing because the hellhound that's represented in this episode barks and runs and everybody hisses at the dog and they like and so I love the conversation between Laszlo and Colin Robinson at the end of the clip by which they're both telling each other yeah that this is not a real thing because if it was a real thing when the Baron died in the pilot episode he was a vampire that had turned Nadja and then Nadja turned uh, Laszlo. And so if the Baron had died, then you would all be dead. And so that and ultimately is what Laszlo is clinging towards. And, and Colin Robinson is kind of agreeing with him that makes this conspiracy or this lore bullshit. But then as you can see, they're kind of back and forth. And as the camera goes back and forth between them and they have some wonderful smirks and hand gestures, you recognize that wait a minute, maybe in Laszlo's kind of, you see it in his face more than anything. Maybe is the Baron actually dead? And so I love that at one point, Colin says, he laughs and says that, you know, the Baron, he's burnt to a crisp and he's buried in the backyard. And they go, yeah, buried in the back garden as we speak. And then you just see Laszlo jump up, say, fuck, get a shovel. And he yells for gizmo. So a really, really, really wonderful scene. And so this scene cuts to Nandor, who's doing one of his one-on-one -on -one interviews with the documentary crew. He's explaining, you know, things that have gone on in the past. And so we're seeing this intercut with imagery of him. You see Nandor kind of having difficulty taking on the responsibility, but he is taking responsibility for not feeding the sire, even though, as I've talked about, Nadja is the one that really fucked up. And so in the next major scene, we see Nandor reading from a book. He's reading from an ancient text and he's trying to pronounce the real name of the sire. And I love that we see in the, in a kind of the next room, Nadja's kind of pacing and she's saying, hey, you have to swallow the G in order to pronounce it correctly. And she's humorously messing up the pronunciation of the name as well. And they will both mess up the pronunciation throughout the entire episode. But they're arguing, they're going back and forth. And so at this point, we start to see that Nandor wants to call a press conference conference. He wants to communicate with other vampires to tell them that the sire has run off. The rest of the scene takes on what I only can describe as what looks like a White House 
press briefing, where Nando now wanting to call a press conference and Nadja 100% against it. She does not believe that they need to bring in the vampire community. They do not need to know what's going on with the sire. They don't need more people getting involved. So even as she's trying to convince Nandor, he's already doing it. And so he's creating in many ways what we can only describe as a seance. And it's almost like a he's having a Zoom call, but he's going to have these floating heads floating in front of him. These are what he calls the Vampire Society's most respected journalists, news anchors, bloggers, vloggers, and high school yearbook editors. Nadja just shrugs. She looks nervous. She's not happy that he's doing this. And Nando makes some jokes like, oh, is this thing on? Like he has a microphone in front of him and Nadja's like, are you fucking kidding me? And so Nando then it says, hey, this is not a time for jokes. And so he goes on to tell the community that he accepts full responsibility and that the sire has escaped, is at large. All the people freak out. We'll even see an individual ask a question. And so he tells them, hey, listen, they have this under control. They're going to find him. There's no reason to freak out. They have a plan. Ultimately, though, the vampires, of course, freak out. I mean, if they all believe that the death of the sire will lead to their deaths and that this could be, in and of itself, the end of vampire kind as they know it, then they have a little bit of a problem. And I love that he kind of even says, you know, even if that does happen, you know, we've had a good run, haven't we? We've had a great time. Really not helpful, but really funny. And so once the conversation or the call is over and Nandor kind of shuts it off immediately after everybody starts freaking out, Nadja just kind of looks at him and says, you know, if you have made things significantly worse. So she's really pissed and Nandor starts to cry. This entire what I call the kind of seance scene of this episode just perfectly illustrates the fact that Nandor is going to start to lose it. Nodge is going to keep poking at him, refusing to take responsibility, and all vampire kind is going to be kind of sitting on the edge of their seats of believing that they might be dying very soon if anything happens to the sire. But the next scene is going to allow for Guillermo, Laszlo, and Colin Robinson to shine because they are going to be in the backyard digging it up. They are looking for the Baron. They need to find out whether or not he is actually dead. But Guillermo is going to be getting really annoyed with Laszlo because he just keeps telling him where to dig. And so Laszlo is getting so annoyed because he can't remember where they buried the Baron. There are random piles of skulls in the backyard. So he picks up a skull. He's like, is it this chap? And then I love that Colin says, no, that was the census taker in 1990. He picks up another one and Colin's like, no. And Laszlo just tosses it. And he's like, for fuck's sake. Again, you have all these random bones just like lying around all these dead people and they are having difficulty finding the Baron, whether dead or not. And so the camera keeps focusing on Guillermo and he just looks more and more and more angry. And Lazo, for what it's worth, just doesn't remember where the Baron is. And so he's freaking out. He even looks at a rock. He says, that that rock rings a bell. Maybe that's where he is. And even Colin kind of chimes in. He's like, yeah, that rock does look familiar. It does ring a bell. And so what they start to do then is they start to yell. They start to scream, Baron, are you there? And then we eventually hear the Baron say yes. He's been buried for quite a while, but ultimately he is alive. He's able to hear them. Laszlo is like, shit. And now he knows the Baron's alive. And so, yeah, maybe it is very possible and very true that the death of the major vampire would lead to their deaths. And the reason they're alive is because the Baron was never actually dead. Then we'll eventually see as Guillermo is pulling the Baron out of the shallow grave and the Baron looks 
really, really bad. I mean, we already knew that he was only a half a torso with the arm attached and he looks like shit. But I love that Laszlo is like, well, fancy seeing you here, Baron. The next part of this scene is just absolutely hilarious where the Baron is going to explain why they thought he was dead, but he wasn't and how he's been able to survive for this long, at least since the pilot episode when he was originally killed by none other than an accident of Guillermo, remember? Now that the Baron is alive, this ancient, powerful vampire, Guillermo's going to be freaking out because he's the one that accidentally opened the door during the daytime and burned the Baron to this kind of crispy critter. <laughs> but truly, it's Colin Robinson at the end of this scene that really, really, really takes the show. So let me play this short clip for you here. We thought you were dead. Well, no, I am not. <laughs> you see, when you buried me, I was pretty much dead, but not completely dead. I was able to slowly regain my strength, subsisting on the blood-soaked dirt of the many, many humans you have buried out here. That was a bit of luck. Now, I did try to dig my way to the surface using just my mouth and this one arm that is fused to my chest. I guess I was digging sideways instead of up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll happen when your arm is, uh, yeah. Soon, I recovered enough to cry out and beg you to dig me up. I, help, help, I cried. Oh, okay, that was right. you then. Yeah, I heard the screams, but I just thought it was someone in the neighborhood in grave danger. As like, not my problem. That scene is just so funny as the Baron talks about how he was able to survive this time. He's even kind of wagging his finger at one point. He's explaining how his hand is attached to his chest and eventually ripping it off of there. It's a really, really, really good scene. And so it cuts to eventually Guillermo doing a one-on-one -on -one interview where he's saying in many ways that he's like, it's a little nerve-wracking seeing the Baron again, considering our history. And that's where we get that flashback scene that showcases the fact that Guillermo was the one that led to his death. And he really does not want the Baron to find out that that's how he died because the night that the Baron died was really, really, really a fucking hilarious episode because he was just drinking blood really from people who were absolutely on drugs. He was off his rockers, the Baron that is, even eating food. It was an insane, insane episode. And so Guillermo's like, he probably doesn't remember anything anyway, so bet us not to remind him. The scene eventually ends with the Baron being picked up by Guillermo and the Baron kind of loving the fact that he is being held by someone. He's even petting Guillermo's head and Guillermo just looks at the camera and is just nervously laughing. Guillermo is always funny when he looks at the camera, but him and the Baron relationship are kind of back and forth in this scene is just fantastic. But they're all starting to still worry now about the sire and the fact that the sire is gone. And if the Baron is alive, this means the theory could still be alive. And so the next scene starts with Guillermo holding the Baron as they're walking into a living room where we will eventually see Nandor Nadja, the guide played by Kristen Schaal, and we'll also see Nadja's kind of little doll sitting on the couch. A simple doll? I accept full responsibility. I don't see how that helps us. Oh, good evening, my sweet companion. Oh. The Baron, you're alive -ish. Well, catch me up. Have you taken over America? Uh -huh. Well, we've... Um taken over the local vampiric council. Huzzah! <laughs> yes, huzzah! But it's not going so great. Understatement of the year. What she said. Yes, you've picked a bit of a shitty time to come back from the dead. I see. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, could one of you be a dear and push my eye back in? Guillermo! 
Also, I think one of my ears fell off in the foyer, if we could. Which one? Does it matter? Which ear was it again? The right one. We need to find the sire. Yeah. I believe he's fearing. I always oh, have. Shit, the right What are we doing? We are not panic. I'm not panicking. We're gonna die. Okay. My sword. As I said, that scene is everything, whether it's Guillermo holding the Baron as they walk into the room or even the Baron asking if they've conquered America. But they all seem very horrified by the fact that the Baron is alive because it gives more credit to the fact that they must now really find the sire. And I love that Laszlo, in many ways, the individual who really honestly was against the kind of conspiracy theory is now like 100% we're all going to die. And so at the very end of that scene, you don't hear it in the clip, but Guillermo just starts making the most annoying sound possible. And then Guillermo goes on to give a really, really important speech to everybody by which he tells them, hey, listen, he's in charge now. You need to catch a vampire, then I'm the person to do it. And so, We've seen now over now two and a half seasons up to this point, we've seen the Guillermo character be utilized and abused by the vampires, including his master, Nandor. What development? He's gotten to the point by which he has the confidence. He sees himself in a much more powerful position by which he can actually assist, help, and track and take down this sire. Not to kill. You don't want to kill the sire, mainly because it'll kill everybody else. And so Guillermo kind of makes this play that he should be in charge. And then eventually the camera's focusing on Guillermo. It's looking around the room. They're all in the kind of the foyer. The camera's circling them. And eventually it looks at Lazlo and he's like, okay, fine, fuck it. Everybody's kind of like, sure, why not? Guillermo's like, what? What? Like surprised that Laszlo would actually support in giving him this command. And so wonderful, wonderful kind of, as I said, character development for the character of, of Guillermo. But one of the best parts about this scene is that Guillermo really starts to act with a ton of confidence and he starts barking orders at everybody in the room. He even goes to the guide lady and says, hey, listen, go to your intel resources and get me more information on where we can find the sire. Someone needs to do something. And, and she's like, how do you know that I have intel sources? And then he starts to walk away like, hey, listen, fine, then you can do this on your own if you're not going to be honest with me. And she tells him, okay, fine. Yes, I do have intel sources. And they're called the Watchers. He even starts barking orders that Nadja tells her to tag along with the guide and eventually tells Nadja that maybe you'll learn a thing or two. And Nadja just kind of gasps mortified, like, how are you talking to me this way? He even looks at Laszlo and tells him to change his shoes. He tells him that they don't look very comfy and you're going to be doing a lot of groundwork. And Laszlo just looks at him shocked with his mouth wide open and tells Guillermo, why don't you go get fucked? While Guillermo is taking on this confidence, they're still more than willing to kind of cut him back down if he starts to get too big for himself. And you even hear Nandor in the background saying, don't get cocky. And then Nadja gives one of her best lines of the episode where she tells Guillermo to eat shit. So the group now has their orders to go find information that will help them track down the sire. And the next scene is going to be focusing on the guide and Nadja, who are going to talk to the Watchers. And we're going to find out that these Watchers are gargoyles, who are going to be really, really gossipy. And so I love how both the guide and Nadja are going to be talking to the camera, are going to turn into bats, will reappear on a roof, and have a conversation with these gargoyles to see if they have seen anything. And this scene is just so fantastic. Kristen Shaw makes it better. But while she's explaining what they're looking for, who this sire is, when, when the guide talks about the genitalia, we see Nadja just imitating it and mimicking it. Hello, ladies. 
honey, it's been way too long. Oh, and looks like you finally made a friend. Hello. We have a desperate emergency. We're wondering if anyone has spotted an ancient vampire on the loose about four foot nine, horrible nice. face, completely naked, genitalia like nothing you've ever seen. <laughs> You'd be surprised at what I have seen, but no, not ringing any bells. Speaking of ringing bells, listen to this. You know how Count Blake the Torturous is selling his haunted clock tower? To lower the asking price twice. Twice! In this market! I know, just because it has half a staircase doesn't make it a duplex! Also, yeah, they're like super gossipy bitches. As I said, that scene is just so good because of the guide in Najee. It's so funny. The comedy is so quick. It's lightning fast. It's just comedy gold. And this roof scene, which could easily be a throwaway scene, is actually hilarious and it moves the story along perfectly. And I love that eventually we see that the gargoyles will make a call. They'll see if they can find anything out. And eventually they provide information to Nadja and the guide about where they can find the sire. And so eventually we're near Ozone Park in Queens and we see our group looking for the sire. But what makes this scene fantastic is that one, Guillermo is in charge. He's demanding that everybody stay vigilant and they're all carrying different things. We see Colin with a lacrosse stick. We see Nadja has a net. Laszlo has a pitchfork. Nandor has a shovel. Obviously the guide is walking the hellhound, but here's where it's really funny on the back of the hellhound, riding it like a horse, is the Baron. And so he is saddled up on the hellhound, riding it. It is so fucking funny. Where's that magic food when you need it? Shush, that's right. For everyone, stay alert and stay vigilant. Carefully, you might be hiding up a tree. Oh. Stop! What is that? Look at these footsteps. Something's not right. Careful. Just like I suspected. Vampire piss. How do you know what vampire piss tastes like? Just trust me, okay? Mm. Judging by these tracks, he's headed south. Okay, you heard piss, man. Let's move. She's got us to move. I just fucking said it. She just fucking said it. I made a posting on the website next door asking if anyone saw anything suspicious, but it it just kind of turned into an orgy of racism. Okay, come on, go away. Oh, we must hurry. Go ahead, Go, baby. Careful, careful. Looks like the stop for the snack. Oh, the security guard. Oh. It's like the meat has been sucked out from the inside like a hairy crab leg. <laughs> that scene makes me pee my pants every single time. Again, the Baron's kind of owes as he in this scene, whether it's when Nandor kind of asks Guillermo, how do you know what vampire piss tastes like? That just, oh my God. And just seeing the Baron riding the hellhound is just everything you could possibly ever want. Everybody has a perfect moment to shine in this scene. It's probably one of the funniest scenes in the entire episode. All the vampires are now standing outside of this, what looks like a major store. And so Guillermo is telling them, hey, listen, if he's in the store, that means one thing. He's trapped and this is our chance. And so Laszlo's like, okay, great. Then you can go in there and you can kill him yourself. He's like, wait a minute. No, one, we don't want to kill him because that will kill all of you. Two, why should I go in there when all of your lives depend on it? But Nandor is the one that's starting to look really hopeless. But as Nandor is freaking out, Guillermo walks up to him and slaps him in the face. And everyone gasps. Even Laszlo is shocked and says, fucking. Colin even looks at the camera and he looks like he's in shock. Guillermo gets right in Nandor's face, holds the flashlight to his face, and tells him to stop feeling sorry for himself. He's like, help me help you fix this. And then Nandor just says, 
let's go kill the sire. And everybody cheers and it's like, yeah, let's go kill him. And Guillermo's like, no, 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 no. We're not going to kill him. So with the Baron in tow, now in the arms of the guide, they all go in the store and Guillermo is going to give them all orders as they start to prepare to look for and take down the sire. So he tells Laszlo and Nadja that he wants them to go find the sire and to corner them. And so we're going to focus our attention first on Laszlo and Nadja. And so they're going to be talking and chatting and Laszlo's making a ton of comments by how this search for the sire would be so much easier if he had his flute. That She's like, shut the fuck up about your pissing magic flute. And her ability to kind of just nail that comment is just wonderful. So I love as they're searching for the sire, they eventually look and they see the sire. And we're getting our first real look at what this is. We haven't even seen him the entire episode. So once we do finally see the sire, he's on top of one of the kind of aisle shelves in the store. And he is ugly. He is wings. He looks like a bat. He has a huge long tail. And so he sees Laszlo and Nadja and then he kind of runs away. And so at one point they're looking over at him. Nadja's even like, what is he doing? We need something to get his attention. And that's when Laszlo is like, well, we might be in luck. He goes, I might not have a magic flute, but he picks up a harmonica and he starts playing that. And he walks down the aisle towards the sire and he starts playing his harmonica. So as he starts going down the aisle, Nadja tells him to be careful and the sire kicks the shit out of him. And then eventually, eventually after it's done beating Laszlo, it comes up to Nadja, looks at her. She's looking at the camera as it's looking at her. And then it turns itself to the camera. And again, that's why I love mockumentaries. It's looking at the camera, breathes into the camera, makes the camera all fogged up. The, the sire just flees and it is incredibly fast. So after the sire flees like really, really fast away from the camera and Nadja, Nadja starts running down the aisle towards Laszlo and the camera follows. She wants him to get up and when she touches him, he jumps up and he literally starts to talk. But every time he says something, you hear the sounds of the harmonica and he tells her that he accidentally swallowed the harmonica as the sire was kicking the shit out of him. And so right after this, the scene will cut to Guillermo. Colin and Nandor as they're preparing for a kind of takedown of the sire once Laszlo and Nadja do their job, which they don't know at this point, they have clearly failed at doing. And so Guillermo is kind of setting up a net. And so Guillermo looks at the camera and tells the camera crew that if he had more time, he would have built something more advanced. And so eventually we see Nandor, who says he has, was not able to find any armor, but is now at this point wearing everything that is hockey related because he's wearing hockey goalie pads. He's wearing a bike helmet, he even has a flamingo go pool tube around his waist and so he is ready for battle. Guillermo eventually looks around and he looks at the net, he looks at them and he's like, okay, I think we're going to need bait. And then Nandor and Colin just stare at him and Guillermo kind of looks around and he gets the understanding that, oh, I'm going to have to be the bait. So the next scene now shows Nandor tying a rope around Guillermo's waist. Guillermo is like un not understanding. He's like, why are you putting a rope around my waist? And Nandor is pretty much like, so when the sire comes and is about to viciously maul you, we can kind of pull you back away from danger. But at this moment, we hear something. And this is where this scene is really fucking funny. We hear a little like remote controlled car. And sure enough, and in the distance, we see the Baron is now in a small remote controlled car driving around and all we hear is Nandor say what the fuck is this and we hear the Baron say greetings and salutations but beyond them we see Laszlo and Nadja and she is telling him that you didn't swallow a goddamn harmonica and Laszlo is saying yes I did and when he says yes 
I did. After each word, you hear the harmonica playing. And so Nadja sees Guillermo tied up and laughs and says, oh my goodness, human bait. Obviously, we should have done that from the start. Colin then, though, chimes in and says and tells the Baron how much he likes his car. And I love that the Baron says, you know, that he is controlling the car with his mind. And then the camera eventually pans to the guide and she just holds up the remote control. Guillermo is eventually going to ask Nadia and Laszlo, where is the sire? Your job was to eventually corner him. And Nadia explains to him that, hey, listen, he moves very, very quickly, like lightning. So you better be prepared to yank that rope. When Nadia is completing that line, we see and hear the sire. And so Nando tells everyone to get out of the way so that we only see Guillermo. We see the rope attached to him. He has a hockey stick and he is standing his ground. And so even Colin, though, is yelling from the side to say, telling Guillermo to, hey, make yourself look more appetizing. Shake your moneymaker. Really fucking funny. And the music is good. Guillermo is eventually dancing a little bit. The sire's looking at him slightly confused. And then the music will start to trail off. We hear Nandor say, this is enough. And he yanks Guillermo out of the way and away from danger. And even Guillermo looks at Nandor and is like, why did you yank me early? And again, which allows for Colin Robinson to chime in and say, that's what she said. Really good. It's a stupid joke, but it works perfectly because it's Colin that's saying it. And he's like, hey, I just found out about this series of jokes. And so Nandor eventually tells Guillermo that he shouldn't be in harm's way. This is all of his fault anyway. So if anyone is going to go toe to toe with the beast, it's going to be him. But what I love is that once Nandor goes and stands out there in front of the sire, Nadia comes out and she's like, I have something to tell you. And so she looks at the camera, she looks at him, and we start to think as an audience that, oh, Nadia's going to come clean, that it wasn't really Nandor's fault. But no, at the very last second, she just looks at him and tells him that he shouldn't be wearing that stupid helmet because it's going to make absolutely no difference when the sire is crushing you and mincing you to smithereens. And so her face, her mouth, her eyes, everything about Nadia in that moment is just absolutely amazing. She might feel bad for not being honest, but she commits to cut him down and obviously is not going to let it up. And she never will. As Nandor confronts him, the sire just starts throwing shit at him. And then eventually we see the Baron, who's still in his little remote-controlled car, asking, what is he doing? And he looks at Guillermo when he says that. He goes, the beast just wants to be free. And so Guillermo takes this opportunity to look at the Baron and say, well, how do you know that that's what the sire wants? And so the Baron responds that, well, that's what he keeps saying. And so Guillermo is like, wait a minute, you know what he's saying? You speak that language? And the Baron says, well, of course, I speak the the ancient vampire tongue. Guillermo then eventually yells for Nandor to wait and that he's coming. He eventually grabs the Baron out of his remote controlled car and starts running towards Nandor. When he gets there, Guillermo eventually holds up the Baron and tells him to talk to the sire. And so eventually the Baron starts to speak to the sire. The sire looks at the Baron confused, eventually drops Nandor to the ground. And then eventually we start to see the sire and the Baron communicating to one another. And so the Baron then gives a speech and lets them know that everything is okay now. And so the Baron then explains that the sire just wants to be free. He thought that all of them were there to kill him. And so the camera even cuts to the sire, gesturing that this is true. The Baron then eventually explains now that he's been fed, he's ready to go back and be home. He just doesn't want to be put back in that cell any longer, because if you try to put him back in his cell, he's going to rip your throats out. And even Colin says, Fair enough. And then the guide adds, we could, you know, add extra hay, maybe a rope swing. 
And then you can even see he doesn't like that at all. And so it's a nice little cute moment by which, again, we're seeing each actor throw in lines for their character. And then we see Nandor kind of telling the sire to come along. They won't hurt him any longer. But the scene perfectly ends with Laszlo about to give a really nice touching speech, but then eventually has to stop himself because every word he says is backed up by the harmonica he accidentally swallowed. So he ends that with, ah, fuck, it doesn't matter. That was an absolute perfect way to end that scene. I'm not sure that there are many people better than, say, Matt Berry as Laszlo who could drop an F-bomb like that in that moment and make such a moment matter more. It sticks the landing. It's absolutely perfect, made perfect because of that line and the harmonica playing. It's just, oh. It's fantastic. Such a funny, funny moment. So I love that after this, we're eventually going to cut to a one-on-one -on -one interview with Nandor and Nadja, and they're going to be explaining how they got the sire back under vampiric council control, but how things are now going to be even better. So we were able to get the sire back under vampiric council control. See, no one's going to hurt you. We all are your friends. Turns out the sire had an absolutely excellent sense of humor. Very dry. To think he'd mind it if I pulled his tail. Oh. He likes oh. it. Nandor, leave it, you fucking idiot. And we have sorted out a much more suitable living situation. For all involved. Oh my God, that short scene is just so good. And it's good because of the fact that the interviews are so funny, but also while the interviews are taking place, the imagery is cutting into scenes from what is explaining that which they are talking about. I love that back and forth of how the show can do that in a mockumentary format. Again, it doesn't work without the mockumentary format. This type of style just enhances the ability of what we do in the shadows to be a successful sitcom television show. It's doing something that's been done, but it's doing it completely differently and making it far more entertaining than it has been done before. And so we find out at the end of that clip that things have worked out for everyone involved. Now, what did Nandor mean by when he said, for all involved? Well, the episode then starts to end by cutting to Nutley, New Jersey. We're at some farmhouse. It looks peaceful and quiet. It's nighttime. And we see that we're about to engage in a one-on-one -on -one interview with the Baron, the Sire, and the Hellhound. So they they are all in some what I can only argue is like a 1970s sitcom comedy or buddy comedy. They're all living together in this house. The Baron is talking about how they have a terrific setup now so that the sire never has to go back to that cage any longer. The sire has company. The hellhound has room to play and roam. And then it cuts to the hellhound. Oh my goodness. Breathing fire at a squirrel in a tree. It is hilarious. And so ultimately we see in the distance though, or out the window, a car is pulling up. And so the Baron is explaining that they are able to eat and feed very easily now. And he says, thanks to Airbnb. And you hear a doorbell. We'll eventually see the sire take the Baron aside. We'll eventually see him put the Baron on a coat rack and eventually put a robe around him, even though he has no legs. I mean, this is a man that now has no legs still, but he is now stuck on the top of a coat rack with a, um, a robe around him to make it look like he is an actually tall individual. And so eventually he will open the door and there's a couple there saying that they're looking for a remote cabin, Airbnb. And the Baron just looks at them and says, hey, welcome. You've made it just in time for dinner. So indicating that this is how they get their food. They pretend to be an Airbnb. They eventually rent it out. The people show up and they kill and they eat them. But that doesn't actually end the episode. There's going to be an after credit scene by which we see Nandor standing alongside Nadja announcing to all those people that had been there before in the seance. And all he says is they got him. 
And just like that, everyone, the episode closes in that kind of glorious, glorious fashion. This episode truly showed the, the development and the dynamics of these characters. Surely it's my favorite episode out of the entire bunch because I believe that you are seeing the best out of all of them. There's so much that takes place in this episode, yet it is a fast, quick episode, lightning fast, and it is seamless. But as I said, this is an ensemble show, so it makes sense that the episode that has all of them together in a kind of unified quest makes it all the better. This may be a, a Jemaine Clement creation with the 2014 movie. The movie was great. The TV show is outstanding. It is perfection. It is everything you want from an ensemble comedy on television today. It just so happens to be a mockumentary. It just so happens to be a horror comedy. It has the right actors, the right characters, the right score, music, writing, directing, everything. So that wraps up this episode of Must Rewatch TV. And I do hope you enjoyed this discussion of the episode The Escape from the third season of the hit FX show, What We Do in the Shadows. But as always, I want to hear your thoughts. If you feel so inclined, please leave a comment. You can get in touch with me at mustrewatchtvz at gmail.com or on Instagram at mustrewatchtvz. Let me know what you think about this episode, The Escape, of What We Do in the Shadows. Do you agree that this is the best episode, especially because of the vampiric adventure and lightning-fast comedy? Or is there another episode that you observe as your go-to? Which vampire would you select as the best? Are you like me in selecting Nadja? Or is someone unique like Colin in Energy Vampire more your speed? Don't forget to show the love and support by subscribing to the podcast and get notified of every new episode as soon as it drops. Join me next time and save me a spot at the Bubbla as I rewatch and then discuss some wicked awesome TV. Mm -hmm.